yeah, everybody, welcome to Make It Stop, Bad Music. Good times. <laughs> I'm Heather Mack. I'm Mike Dunn. We're already off the motherfucking rails. We're talking about uh, legendary punk artists, The Clash, and their the, the album that broke them up, Cut the Crap. Uh, and it this has been a long time coming. I think we've had like a triple threat of episodes where we have just been ripping into like critically like acclaimed and also critical to our childhoods and like musical uh are basically the like our musical foundation first we did the weirdness by the stooges we just did uh the latest album by green day which is it's i i see all of you looking <laughs> terrified <laughs> and you should be and now uh we're finally here we're at the clashes cut the crap and with us to discuss um this fucking atrocity of an album uh, are some dear friends. Mike, you want to introduce our dear friends? Yeah. Joining us today are three people uh, that have all uh, been in bands with me, uh, but are in a, uh, an, a much better band together. Uh, they are, <laughs> <laughs> they are uh, uh, they've been around for over a decade at this point, I believe. Uh, we went to college together and they've been crushing it ever since. Uh, we've got the OG lineup here, although there are some additional members now of uh, Time and Place. Joining us, we've got uh, Brandon Rainville, Megan Day, and Jack Hawkins. How you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Don't lie. You just listen to this uh, album, Jack. Better, better before <laughs> yeah. the album. Better before Still the album. Honored to be brought in on such an importantly terrible album. <laughs> I guess that is a really good point. Importantly terrible feels like a very accurate phrase here. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Under any circumstances. Can you, can you say that again once more with feeling, please? Can you just No, I can't. I'd be faking it. Oh uh, man. I, I love you both. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, I cannot wait to dig in on this abortion of an album oh dear oh. if only if only jesus it's true. christ it, it is unfortunately it, it, full term abortion <laughs> is like a valid and an important choice that is not yes. what seems to have happened here <laughs> no but i do see this is like this album is like a malformed incomplete collection of cells uh just never quite uh, you know, materialized into a sentience. Just like some kind of test tube baby experiment in a lab where like real love and just like regular, I don't know, procreation was absent, but it's like, we're going we're gonna to make something anyway, for sure. I don't know. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. This is in vi this is in vitro, uh, in vitro meat. Uh <laughs> God. Jesus Christ. Beyond Clash. <laughs> the, the delicious. The impossible Clash. The cl the yeah, impossible. the impossible Clash. The, cl <laughs> the plant-based Clash substitute. Yeah, this is, oh man, it's it's rough. I, I vocally, you know, uh, Brandon, when you were um, trying to muster up the energy to say that you were excited about <laughs> discussing this album, I, you really channeled that deep existential wince that you hear throughout every song on uh, on this album and everything about this album, as you all have, you know, alluded to uh, with, you know, these terrifying metaphors of like lab grown uh, experiments that should have uh, should have never existed like this this album should have for all intents and purposes never existed 
So yeah, who wants to dive in first to this, uh, to everything that's that's wrong about this album? Or should we? Yeah, should we... let's let's back up real quick let's before we get into that, and let's just excited. talk about. You know, I know, I know, time and place loves the Clash. Uh, we all know uh, that we all love the Clash in general. Uh, so let's talk about that. Let's uh, let's talk about our history with the Clash and what we think of the Clash. Yeah, there's a reason why you guys are on this particular episode, because I think you can tell in all of the music, you know, if you listen to Absolutely. Time and Place, which you should, because they have a brand new EP or LP EP out called EP, American, yeah. American White Noise. Uh, and actually it was song of the week. Shouts out to you guys. Angel Wood. AA. I saw that. Um, yeah. Anywho, uh, when you listen to them, loyal stoppies, you you will obviously hear the clash influence. Um, mm -hmm. especially early Joe Strummer influence, right? Because uh, so so clearly they mean a lot to you as a band. What about individually? Uh, I'll start out. Um, I've always loved The Clash and specifically Joe Strummer for their political leanings. Uh, it opened me up to a world where music could be a force to expose and, and radicalize and shine lights on things I'd, I'd never know about in my sheltered, silly American life. Um, I like to think like uh, what the Ramones did for every like punk musician thinking uh, that want and will triumphs over talent. Joe Strummer did for me with his lyrics and vision. Uh, I guess insofar as if I had this idea with my words that I absolutely had to get out, I can make it real and meaningful and possibly affect some sort of change. But like Joe Strummer, uh, I found out if you don't have someone like Mick Jones to rein you in on some of your ideas, your vision uh, might just be shit. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Megan? What does what does the Clash mean to you? So uh, I came to listening to music that people listen to remarkably late in life. Um, I think it was Brendan who probably first introduced me to the Clash. I was like, holy shit! Like this is like good straight ahead punk rock rock and roll. Got to play a couple of nice Halloween shows um, as The Clash. And so I feel like kind of getting into that kind of sort of thing, kind of getting into the headspace of whatever musician you're trying to be. For me, Paul Simon, and it's like, holy shit, like I think I can learn something from this. Super fun. I introduced my parents to The Clash. They were obviously actually of the appropriate age when The Clash were clashing originally, had never had any awareness. And we're like, whoa. This is actually really good. These guys are tight. Like, yes, yes, Boomers, mom and dad. Yeah, no, wow, that is wild. They, 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 they did. And I, to me, like I really appreciated that. It's like I felt, you know, validated in some way. And like, yeah, it shows know. how timeless it is too. Yeah. Like you know, well, it's good yeah. rock and roll. Like it's, it's good rock and roll. You know, there's there are like sort of things that bespeak the punk era, but just a lot of good songwriting too in many albums yeah yeah <laughs> for sure for sure and especially because of that partnership that you know brandon already mentioned between joe strummer you know and jones oh yeah you have to feed and water your songwriters <laughs> Very important. yeah you don't shove them out of the band is that what you're saying you don't you don't okay well we'll get Whatever to that replace but them with your manager <laughs> yeah it's, you can't leave them alone. Very, alone. very punk rock, Joe Strummer. Anyway, um, Jack, what what about you? What's your what's your background with the Clash? Yeah, uh, so I came to the Clash uh, earlier than Megan probably, but in, in fact, the Clash was 
London Calling was the very first ringtone I had on my cell phone when you could actually have a ringtone that wasn't just a stock ringtone. Uh, and it wasn't very good. And it kind of ruined that song for me for a while. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I got into them around the same time that like Tony Hawk Pro Skater came out and introduced me to things like Suicidal Tendencies yeah. and the Dead Kennedys. And so they're all sort of like lumped into this group of things that are punk adjacent or or definitely punk but also rock and roll like you said there's sort of like a rolling stones vibe in some of it uh and i didn't really get into the clash deeply like listening to things like sandinista until quite later but london calling and clash self-titled go pretty far back for me to the days when i'm like also listening to green day's warning i um i got into the clash i mean you know i fancied myself a punk Starting pretty much the uh, the summer between eighth and ninth grade, that's when I made the decision I'm gonna be a punk. I'm gonna make the switch from new metal to punk. I was it was a conscious decision, but I don't think I really got into the Clash until Joe Strummer died. Um, Joe Strummer died in um, oh, two, two? end of two thousand two. Yeah, yeah. So I was a sophomore in high school, and I think. I just remember when they 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 did this retrospective on him on NPR, and I was listening to it in the car with my parents. <laughs> Very and punk. like every clip that they played uh, of the Clash's music was awesome. And I was like, "What am What am I doing? Like, I've I've heard enough Rancid, I've heard yes. enough Green Day. Let's go back to the source of where they they ripped all their shit from." Um, and I got into I actually I remember you know it's funny I remember I got London Calling like right before Christmas and my uncle was pissed because he got it for me for Christmas and had to pivot. Uh, and he ended up giving me um, sister by Sonic youth instead, which is also a great, great album. choice. Great choice. Great pivot. <laughs> um, but I know he had a copy of London calling then that he had to like, just have a second copy yeah. of. Well, way to uh, fuck up Christmas by the way. Yeah. Hey, you know what? <laughs> that's, that's what punk rock's all about, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, do so they know they, it's Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Don't get us started. Oh, uh, but yeah, they were a huge influence on uh, on you know my development as a youth, uh, on my political views, and on my songwriting approach. Um, and I actually listened to this album in high school. I remember I was like, it can't be that bad, um, and wow. it was. But this is the first <laughs> time I've revisited it um, since then. Even then, you were crisply aware of the reality of the better. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's self-evident as soon as you hear it, it's like, I, I, it's, it's not a question, right? It's just objective. You know, there's some albums we had Kira from black flag on recently. She made a compelling case for the weirdness that that is an album that you can debate. This is not an album you can debate. Absolutely not. Objectively bad. I think I, I would be shocked at anyone who would, tr who would put on the song Dictator and say, that is a good song. You mean the lead the lead intro song the and the lead single? The opening track. The yes. opening track? We will you mean that? that? I'm sorry. To be objectively um, bad, we should be able to come up with a metric of some kind that lets us just determine. Oh. Right? Like, I think that's the number of uh, appropriationist bongos per minute or something. We are, I Megan, I will say, I think we are starting to get to a unified theory of bad music on we the are. show. We're, we're finding cracking the code. We're starting to crack the code. There are across genres certain elements that uh that that unite bad music. And there's certainly some of them here. And and we need a bad music weird, taxonomy chart. <laughs> like and bizarre just, yeah. 
Bizarre cultural appropriations are definitely one of the elements yeah, at, at play in a lot all, of bad music. Also synth trumpets. Also synth a, <laughs> a uniting trope. But also a shocking lack of bridges. <laughs> There's so many. Also the, the vocalizations of someone who's down the street. <laughs> like There's just that. If you want to get the song over with uh, fast enough, you would just do away with the bridges. We don't need them. <laughs> we have not tried on this song. Let's get it over with. <laughs> it's it's like every song has three verses and no bridge turn one of those verses into a bridge what are you doing that's not gonna fucking save this shit no, no, not a single like you but by the time you know the surgery that would be needed to make this into a you know a, a passable fucking album let alone a passable clash album is just it would it would be unrecognizable like you're, you you know <laughs> surgery on the song structure doesn't save the production at all no, nothing. I would, say, I would say you guys are doing an appallingly an appalling, uh, little rails of cocaine to understand this album. <laughs> <laughs> Inner rails, you will certainly get that where you're going. That is also a very recurring trope on the taxonomy of bad music. That's top it's, of the pyramid. It's, it's, on, it's <laughs> mounds and mounds of cocaine. Then there are some where maybe they should have had a little more. I don't know, but... Um, so I'll I'll just you know flex my punk cred. Both my parents went to see the Clash when they on their first U.S. tour. They were massive you know punks and raised me on the Clash and uh, career opportunities uh, and White Riot. Those are the first like uh, Clash songs that I remember uh, when I was like thirteen. My dad made me uh, a mix CD um, of like twenty two really great punk foundational 1977 punk rock was what it was called and it had those songs on it and i fucking loved it i love the clash i love that first album the self-titled a lot my that was my mom's favorite album i think that was mine obviously we listened to london calling um as well and london calling is is you know by all accounts one of the best rock albums of all time it's you know completely standalone it is so unique um and i did love london calling as well um, but it was very apparent. My mom was like furious. Anytime we heard like rock the Casbah on the radio, she would fucking turn it off. She hated. Why? She was oh, anti-combat geez. rock. She was anti-combat rock. Like she Ooh. was fully and completely like hated like the the sellout like arc of in, in her mind. That was how she presented it. And it's very telling that I didn't even know that cut the crap existed. Like there was not even a mention. There was no way that we yeah, were. I feel like I also fell victim to the story that's out there that cut the crap just doesn't exist. That yes. the band ended in 1983. Yeah. Which is, you could argue for sure. But yeah, the first, my first encounter with this album was roughly a week ago. Yeah, pretty much. It only lived on in bad music legend. Yeah, I, I mean, I believe it's had a print. Uh, they did. They've tried to bury it, uh, it, and it is the album that killed the band for this sure. Was the end of the Clash. This was the last yeah. thing they did. Are we sure this was not sort of an undead album post post death? Yeah, like a zombie. I think Simpsons. the death occurs during the making of the album because Paul Simonon was in there laying down his tracks, and they cut him out of the mix completely. That, it's all gone, like ghosts. Yes. <laughs> It's All been cut out. Yeah. And now it's replaced with like you like finger tapping on the top of your biology textbook. That's <gasps> what we're going to have the fucking drums be now and the Clash album. 
that's supposed to be back to our roots. God. So, Ugh. yeah, let's, so let's talk. Let's dive into the history of Cut the Crap. What how this happened. The year is 1985. Um, the Clash has, uh, you know, as Heather's mother said, sold out uh, as of a few years back. Um, but really, I mean, you can call it selling out, but really what they did is they were the only band of the punk explosion in London um, that was able to find success in the U.S. Um, into the 80s. The only uh, band that mattered. They were called the only band that mattered. Combat Rock 1982 was huge. Uh, and they, you know, all the all the hits that like the normies know about are on that album. Uh, but then there was this three year gap where the band was just in turmoil. Um, they had this manager, uh, Bernard Rhodes. He also managed the specials. He was like a major force in the punk rock scene and in, in getting, you know, some of the greatest bands of that scene, like exposure. Uh, he was instrumental in, in that sense. Um, the band had fired him, uh, but Joe Strummer threatened to quit unless they brought him back on. And that kind of was the beginning of the end. There was all the strife between him and Mick Jones, who, uh, not only was the principal songwriter of the group, but also sang their biggest hits. Um, you know, sang uh, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Sang Lost in the Supermarket. Uh, he's out. Topper, the drummer, has been kicked out. Um, but they were successfully touring with a, a new lineup, uh, you know, with the, the members of the band who were on this album, whose names escape me, and I don't feel like looking them up right now. Um, no. And they, the songs from this album were being played live for a while before they actually went into the studio to make this. And by all accounts, the live versions. Yeah, they were pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, right. Well, the whole idea was was they were trying to get back to basics. They were trying to like, you know, or initially, supposedly. I want to know for for y'all clash heads, because I don't really know about this. What was the deal with their rivalry? Why was it? Was it just a Keith Richards, Mick Jagger kind of thing where it's like you're both so talented and you know, so aggressive, like you're territorial for your own success. Is it just like, what was going uh, on I mean, there? I think it's, you can only really, it's, it's mostly conjecture, but I have a feeling it's like, you know, Joe Strummer's the front man. Yeah. Uh, he's the face of the band, but Mick Jones is the creative force behind it. And it's, I think it's just like, how do you reckon well, with that? I think there's a, a lot of burnout too like we're talking about like a six-year period from 1977 to 1983 and they're pretty much going and writing albums and touring the entire time and mm -hmm. you know you have to imagine that at least one of them and i think it's probably mick wants to take a break and they basically never do and and also they gain a ton of commercial success very quickly yeah and i'll say this like for mick uh he was not only like the song writer he was song arranger which will certainly come into play uh, when we listen to the <laughs> the album here. Arrangements. <laughs> yes. My he is truly brilliant. My understanding also is that he, beyond everything we've just said, you know, Topper knew how to play the drums already, fortunately. But Mick taught Joe Strummer and Paul Simon to play their instruments, basically. Like, the extent to which mm -hmm. he was carrying the whole thing was beyond even just, you know, being the better vocalist, songwriter arranger type like i can only imagine what dynamic this would lead to if you imagine some of years being in a band and there's this other person who's this front man but you kind of made him what he was i mean the takeaway yeah. is you don't need to know how to play your instrument to to be in it. <laughs> oh I mean, very much so time in places life story yes mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, in 77, yeah, there was all kinds of that. I mean, um, uh, uh, Sid Vicious was just a kid that was picked off the street because he looked cool. Paul Simonon, same same mm -hmm. thing, Basically. really. Sure. Looks sure. very cool. Very handsome cat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did did write some serious? <laughs> I think he wrote some serious baselines though. Like turned into. He grew into it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He he. Unlike Sid Vicious, yes, he did grow into it. He wrote Guns of Brixton himself. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Oh my god. And that song is killer. So yeah. So you know they even despite you know there was all this friction. Um, I believe. Mick Jones was trying to sue Joe Strummer over the rights to the name of the band. Yes, I believe uh, so. And a lawsuit he lost and went on, you know, he went on to form Big Audio Dynamite, which is a fine band, certainly better than Cut the Crap uh, Clash. Um, and actually, Didn't they come out at the same time? I was reading some of the old reviews of Cut the Crap, and some of them were juxtaposed with reviews of Big Audio Dynamite's debut album. I think they came out at like right about the same time. Yeah, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, they came out on the same day. And I'm pretty sure that Big Audio Dynamite, at the very least, had some pretty pointed uh, lyrics uh, yeah. <laughs> that were very much, uh, you know, diss tracks for Joe Strummer, for yeah, sure. This should not be understated. Sorry, but Mick Jones is a dick. He's very talented, <laughs> but he is a dick, just as Joe and Strummer is. I think okay. they're all dicks. Is I think they're all dicks. <laughs> yes. I think that, well, that's what happens when you rock it, you know, when you have the trajectory they had, I think, too. Jack's very, very right in, in pointing out that a lot happened to them in a, a half a decade. Yeah, the uh, band that wrote Career Opportunities was not the band that was, you know. Finger popping. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to finger popping. <laughs> yeah, I took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, but even like the, you know, just, just to go from career opportunities to rock the casbah in how many years three years four years like that that shit is crazy like the amount of fame and also you know the the change in their sound yeah and i would say yeah with sandinista i mean they changed completely the game of their music they did whatever they want which is so incredible really That's as far as I mean, a, yeah for sure yeah well and they, they really forced i mean like at the time that they were that they started the punk scene like there was you know, there was a lot of racial strife and there really there was like black music and white music uh, and never the two shall meet. And they were one of the first bands to really fully integrate uh, the sounds of ska and reggae uh, and, uh, you know, Callisto, Calypso. So then by the time of this album, there's a level of backsliding that is like, I don't know, sort of unspeakable. Yeah, exactly. Yes, well, well, because that's, that's the thing <laughs> that, you know, I think the Clash really carved themselves. The, the reason why they were the only band that mattered is, uh, you know, you had the the early like forebears of punk rock. And uh, I mean, obviously, besides the Stooges, which is in its own class for sure. And the Velvet Underground, and all that stuff. But like um, but like you had the Ramones that were like these stoned doofuses from New York and you had like the Sex Pistols, which were all like fashion and posturing and like very gimmicky, you know, very, yeah, very gimmicky, but like very, you know, performative and, and, you know, it didn't matter what they, they were putting, it was performance art, you know, more than it was a band. And then you had like the Buzzcocks that were like, you know, frantic and, uh, and queer and, and they all had their kind of own niche, but, um, you know, and the clash came out in 1977 doing music that, that, 
fit in with that scene, but was also somehow on its own level and then continued to rise, continued to experiment, continued yeah. to shift and change and evolve in a way that those other bands did not. And I love those other bands. Well, except they, I don't know about the Sex Pistols. I, you know, whatever. They had, <laughs> I love the Sex Pistols, but they had more crossover appeal. I think they had better pop sensibilities, to be honest with you, even in the right. early days. Uh, you know, than, than some of those other bands. I think um, it makes sense. Their rise makes sense in the context of, you know, the type of songwriting they were doing. They were very tight, uh, had a great, you know, Mick Jones had a great ear for melodies uh, and they wrote interesting and different music, you know, that still could be, uh, could be played on the radio. And adding uh, in all these other influences like, you know, dub music and reggae and even like elements of hip hop and jazz. And, you know, uh, it wasn't just straightforward, you know, punk rock. Like it wasn't just three chord wonders the whole time and the political sensibility that they had in, in the lyrics. Yeah, Brandon. Precisely. And I'll, I'll say this uh, as much as I do hate Bernie Rhodes and I will to the day I die. <laughs> Uh, he did kind of push them towards writing political lyrics, political songs, and what you know about where you are and you know the the whole world around you. So, but that he did all have fell that apart. Good effect. <laughs> he got a few good albums out of it. <laughs> Somehow, yeah, all like flew twenty of the them, window yeah. for cut the crap. And uh, that's my, my last Bernie Rhodes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bernie Rhodes, you can talk a lot of shit about, and he is the biggest force between this album sucking shit. But you have to remember that The Clash would not exist if it weren't for Bernie Rhodes. He right. did introduce the band to each other. He was like the Marshall Say McLaren, that. you know, the you Malcolm think McLaren. You think that's fake news? I can news? create you, I can destroy you. I mean, he I did. He facilitated it. He facilitated Joe Strummer was a busker at the subway. The 101ers were fine. <laughs> yeah no he did engineer he did engineer the band and uh yeah it's uh, to its own detriment at the end there he engineered the specials too i mean you you mentioned the specials he he was huge in the late 70s but by this point 1985 Oof. a rough joe, year joe strummer's basically broken up the band they're starting with a new it was called the mark ii lineup and he, with this album, Cut the Crap, he wants to prove that he doesn't need Mick Jones to help him write songs, that he can do it himself. And Bernard Rhodes wants to prove that he's more than just a manager. He, he's, he can replace Mick Jones in the band and do all the production for the album. Um, he produced this album. Uh, he played, I think, most of the music on it. Uh, at least the most of the guitar, the guitar and bass, um, and uh, it synth. is. <laughs> the it synth, is, yeah. Who does the synth trumpets? That's <laughs> a good does, question. <laughs> who I does would, the flute? <laughs> <laughs> I believe someone was uh, having a seizure, and they put the synth next to them. Wow! But <laughs> it's <laughs> that. It's that. It's it's like the ultimate. Got it. We got it. <laughs> One take. The ultimate Coke dream of these two exploding egos. Yes. You know, who've taken all of, you know, they're taking their whole trajectory and and said and looked at it and said, we don't need anyone else but each other to make a great album. Let's fucking do it. And they went into 
I'm sorry. I have to say, sonically, this album is a K-hole of hubris and broken dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, or a Coke dream of hubris and uh, broken strings. <laughs> but something, something along those lines. It's, it, it's, it's there unbearable. Are not a lot of strings in this whole thing. Oh, well, we have synth strings, so don't worry. We have synth violin. That was a new one, I think, for this show, uh, like almost 100 episodes in or how many episodes? I don't know. 80 80 something 90 90. maybe I don't know so okay so back to this album what I will say is also that the critics agreed this was a resounding failure like it was no there was no apologies made really by anyone including the clash by the end of it they were like you know Joe Strummer has said it was a, a, a grievous error it was a huge mistake he's completely embarrassed by it he never played maybe he played one song off the album live in his he, solo he tour yeah which one was it i forget he plays this is england uh oh, yeah which he said this is england is the last great clash song and i i'll give him a little bit of that i'll i'll, I'll say that's that's one of the the only highlights of this of this album but yeah, I mean, the, the critics thought it was atrocious. I mean, it was a huge, a huge commercial failure. I gotta say, the critics only s- uh, said that because they listened to the album. And yeah. that is so <laughs> typical of critics. Oh, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, can I, oh, did we talk about the fact that the that uh, that Bernie Rhodes had his, <laughs> did we talk about his pseudonym? <laughs> the fact that he gave himself the name Jose Unidos? <laughs> His name was Jose Unidos. Co-writer. <laughs> Co-writer, exactly. Because even he knew he had to distance himself from this album that he Absolutely. wrote. Absolutely. It was yeah, an that's Alan, his Alan Smithy, Alan yeah. Smithy album. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Apparently afterwards he also this I thought this was um worth mentioning. So that they were trying, so they they released the album and then Epic Records was trying to get them to tour. Um, but you know, Joe Strummer was in Spain and he was refusing to participate in it. And the other the like, you know, band members for hire that they got from like an ad in like some magazine or whatever, were getting paid a hundred dollars, a hundred pounds a week to like be in the band to record this album. And they got a thousand pounds as severance payment from from Joe Strummer. Um, yeah, well, I know that Bernard Rhodes wanted to go on without Joe Strummer. He, that's right. Well, would oh that have God. been? Like, did he really think he was the Clash? I think he did. I mean, yes. that's what this album is well, is evidence of that. He I mean, he built the entire UK punk scene. Yes, yes, he yeah. believes he is the Clash, and we are the Clash. Can mean anything? He is the Clash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being right, able to convince yourself that, like. Oh no, we've got the clash. We've got Joe. We don't have Mick, but we've got Joe is like a little bit of a stretch already. But like we don't no, have no, anyone no. left. Yeah. We even replaced the drummer with a drum machine. <laughs> on the first replaced, track. They replaced Paul on all the bass tracks. He's cut out too. Alternate reality scenario, right? Like I can imagine that if different, you know, relationship struggles had come into play, Mick Jones and Joe Strummer could have had the clash together somehow it might not have been quite the same like we need topper we need paul but like the two of them there was something there 
We're right. saying, no, 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 we don't need either of those guys. It's like, well, right. what, what and, and did we, you think was- We don't need a single original <laughs> member for it to yeah, be the it's just, it's just like SNL is still called SNL, even though the cast changes every couple of years, yeah. right? Like it's The so- Simpsons is all new voice actors at this point, but it's it's that. It'd be, it's, it's zombie Simpsons. It's really garbage, y'all. It's going to be a really tough time, and we're going to slog through it together. I hope you all have a few beers on deck because we are going to need it. I'm so glad to be going through this pain with you all. Uh, but here we go. We got to we got to jump right on in. So, uh, God, here we go. So this is the lead. Uh, was this a single? Was this a lead single or was this just the first song in the album? No, no, no. This is England was the only single. Oh, OK. OK. So and for some okay. reason, they thought this would be a good first song. for the album. Got it. Got it. But, I don't know which part of the song to play because it's. It's barely it's a, intelligible. It's a sound collage. Just play whatever. It, it is a sound it, collage. At any point. All right. Well, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. This is <laughs> Dictator. been to a rainforest cafe uh i have no <laughs> in niagara uh you okay they are a basically defunct restaurant chain rest in peace there was one at the burlington mall and um this song is uh giving me big rainforest cafe energy there was a part of the uh the dining experience where you'd be eating your coconut popcorn shrimp and then all of a sudden, there'd be like a crash and like a thunder strike and then like lightning would appear. And then a frog would like, an animatronic frog would like jump out at you and go boom, 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 boom. And then like another like random animatronic toucan would go and then <laughs> you're, you're just talking about an acid flashback. Uh, no, <laughs> this is unfortunately completely and totally true. I want my popcorn shrimp um, but I don't want anything that this song is serving me. It is an assault. I, I am being assaulted. I've never been to a rainforest cafe, but my two feelings about this song were that it, there's like an 80s British game show theme song vibe. Oh, yes. But also, this is the first track of the, in the album, or first track in the album, I should say, which is silly since it's the first track, where there are moments where it sounds like two different unrelated songs playing at the same time. Two? Several I heard months. six. At, at least. Yeah, yeah. Multiple, Le- though. Actually, I, I don't know. I think this is just classic Clash. I think this is what <laughs> I think <laughs> of when I think of the, the song, Clash. But it just, oh, yeah, all the junk in the background, it's just like the sirens, you know? Just like White Riot. <laughs> yeah. I put this song on Spotify. My wife asked me if our Spotify was broken because it sounded like three songs were happening at the same time. And I had to check. So, no, no. It's a bad, bad song. It's like, yeah, those three songs are like Sat in Your Lap by Kate Bush, just for the synth, doom, doom, uh, the synth doom, parts. Doom. Uh, mixed with Day Bow Bow. Mixed with uh, 
like metal machine something off metal machine music and a like uh like a news report in latin yeah, we left, america we left the mic on when we were watching the news yeah yeah <laughs> right and then a synth sax and then a wham wham fucking like <laughs> i like your heather you're like vocal gated synth is very good i just i the wham wham is just it's it's and it's animatronic toucan all the way like i just i like it just seems like they thought that by like layering on like more and more flavors of of like oh let's throw in you know some synth sax and let's throw in some aggressive marimba and let's not hear joe strummer at all except for like every you know whatever i it, it like it's seven it's at least six songs mashed together I know you want it to work. I, I gotta say, this is like literally the song that we playing on loop in my mind as they haul me away on a fifty-one fifty cycle. <laughs> it's just too much going on. Yeah, like, it sounds like they none were of it. None of it is original Clash, though. Like, yeah, there's too much going on. But the biggest problem is that it's like utterly unrecognizable. Like, you don't right. have real drums. It's all drum machine. You've barely got real guitars. It's all synths. Like. Uh, and you have song. these like pseudo fucking political lyrics that are like anti-flag corny like it's you know, oh there's there's dictators is like all this song has to say <laughs> yeah. there is dictators <laughs> yes yeah, very good joe thank you <laughs> can you redline that synth more thanks wham, wonderful wham. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, some of the songs you can like almost hear like a good clash song like under the surface like yeah. underneath all of the layers I think the bones are there um, but this one, I don't hear it. I do know that this song was good live and that it used to have a bridge that they removed. So I don't know what they, what Bernard had against bridges, but he cut them all out and he replaced them. He replaced them with a track he made of him trying to figure out how a drum machine works. <laughs> and just stopping on it. Yeah, great. Uh, it's, it's Bruno Goes Punk. It is Thanks, Bernie. Big. No, it's it's Return of Bruno, aka the very ill-conceived, very terrible uh, debut and only album of Mr. Bruce Willis. Actually, no, he came oh, out with I'm other sorry. albums. That Bruce Willis album is way better than Cut the Crap. <laughs> this, this is well, because you're not expecting gone. anything. You're expecting, you know, what ex ex you're expecting a Bruce Willis album when you hear that. This is you're expecting a Clash album. Oof, woof, woof. I would say this. It's just insane that this is the first song. Like, the next song we're going to listen to may have actually kicked off shit if it was the first song, you know? Can we uh, listen to it? All right. And well, debate it? Yeah, well, why don't we do that? Here we go. This is uh, this is Dirty Punk. Dirty and Punk. I, I, I know Bernie Rhodes wanted this to be the single. It He got vetoed, I guess. Somehow they had veto power over that, but not any of the other decisions. Uh, this, this makes was, no sense. This was almost the single, though. All right. Well, here we go. good hook at least right i mean it kind of sounds it sounds like a clash song there like uh, even when you get to the chorus which again is just lyrically vapid like i think it wants to be 
uh sarcastic or something but it's just coming off like i make a lot of money now and like i I, i'm gonna get me a big 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 car like yeah it reminds me very much of green days i was a teenage teenager in that it was one of the better songs on a terrible album but the lyrics were so fucking it like a, a flattened rendering of like a former rebellion you know what i mean just like clearly just uh yeah just 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 performative you know it's to the point where it becomes a cliche of itself uh, so like, even though, yeah, it sort of sounds like it does sound like a clash song. It sounds like it's, it's, it's too precious. It's too fucking. It sounds like, it sounds like if you were playing a video game in the nineties and it was like a driving video game and you had like rock music on the radio, oh, yeah. this yeah. is what you'd have. Like, it doesn't sound like, I mean, the vapid lyrics are part of it. Yeah, the lyrics Definitely, themselves but... are fucking so like mad, like punk mad libs. Like it, I wrote punk rock Polly Pocket. Like over here's the ghetto blaster, and over here's her little leather jacket, and it just it feels extremely uh, put on. You don't want to hear if... about Joe's brother, the local hunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to be the local hunk. The girls all ride in my machine. I don't know. I'm pretty much for it. Uh, my feeling is this is probably like a, a B-side off of Give Him Enough Rope. You know, yeah, something they left. This is still... And this, it just kind of stayed this, for a while. Maybe this is the first song in the, like, parallel universe version of this album that is like a weird Grease wannabe type thing. Like, my brother used to be the local hunk they all read in my machine. Like, I don't know. There's some yeah, Grease? Very, that, uh, is that what you said? Grease? Uh, yeah. Or uh, American Graffiti yeah. sort of throwback to the to that era lyrically. Or like Rock but and I Roll High School. But I also see what you were saying, Megan. Like, this is the this is the first song where you hear the, the wall of guitars. The wall of Les Pauls. So, <laughs> I read... I, mm-hmm. I Less is less. I can't is remember less. what critics said. This it's there's the Wikipedia page for this uh for this album is extremely robust. Has tons of quotes. One of the it quotes is. I read was that um someone thought perhaps Bernie thought that he had to fill all twenty four tracks of the mixer, um and so I think <laughs> <laughs> he chose. But the thing is, is that both guitarists were using Gibson Les Pauls. There's no tonal difference between any of the guitar tracks. They're all the same exact tone. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you just repeat it 20 so times and it becomes quality. I mean, it, it becomes a power tool. Yeah. It becomes power electronics. Bees is that I think said? perhaps yeah, this could be a decent like Brandon said, you know, give him enough rope, you know, early era clash throwback, you know, B-side uh if they only used two guitars. And if they were two but, different yeah. models of guitar. Perhaps. Perhaps. And okay, can we talk about the footy fans? Can we can we talk about this this decision that was made to just pipe in a fucking stadium like listlessly screaming like along to these nothing choruses? That's like that, a hallmark of this album like, is like the totally anonymous gang vocals that like it could be anybody. Like it's supposed to be this kind of English pub thing or something. I, my my game to myself while listening to this album is to try to imagine, like, imagine 
Chris Blade on stage what it would look like to have some real live group performing this thing? You can't. It, it, it can't be done because so this was actually a group of their friends and family that were brought in to do gang vocals, you know, throughout um, the album. And, you know, I think a, a few well-placed gang vocals could have been effective. I've done some well-placed gang vocals for your band <laughs> before, um, and they can really work. But in this and case, oh, thank you. And I, I don't mean to cut off uh, Heather here, but uh, it's a crutch. Oh, this totally. A hundred percent. Well, so and the one thing that I will say about it, just to finish that point, is that apparently, according to Joe Strummer and um was Simon Simonin was the well, so he was, was on this album, yes. In the studio, but they replaced kind of, all his sort parts. of right. On the final mix, but he certainly recorded. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Um they said that this was actually the only fun part of of recording the album was when they had their friends and family there doing gang vocals. And that maybe that's why they wanted to have them in so often in all the songs, but the issue well, with yeah, them is a because they, a, it's none a total of them were crutch. friends with each other anymore or exactly, ever exactly. They needed a buffer. They needed a buffer, and maybe having a few gang vocals here and there is fine, but having them be the entire chorus or having them often drown mm -hmm. out or completely replace Joe Strummer, that was a choice. <laughs> well, as as a uh, pretty mediocre songwriter myself, I know that like it's a vice, the gang vocals, and you can use it to really actually uh, you know, really elevate a song but if you're just doing it for literally, I think maybe ten of the twelve songs in this album, yes, is a crutch. Oh yeah, yeah. not good. And you I can't think... have it replace the lead singer. Go ahead, Mike. And I think just the fact that it sounds so much like a like a football chant on every song, it doesn't have the effect you really want from the gang vocals. Like I feel like gang vocals, you want it to sound like. A cr you know, you want it to sound like like the band's behind you, right. you're all together, and you're like all about something together, or like, like a rally, like a protest. But this sounds—it's big jock energy. It's yeah. big fucking it's hooligan. It's hooligan energy. It's hooligan shit. No, it's about it's about us. But who the fuck is the us in this mm. song? Yeah. Well, it's they are the Clash. <laughs> oh, what a segue! Ah. What a segue to uh, track three. Here we go. We are the Clash. Oh, God. This is maybe the saddest one. This is the this biggest is... middle finger on the album. Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah. For Spoiler alert. They aren't. Here we go. My biggest problem with the uh, the gang vocals is I think it's just such a contrast from Mick Jones's backing vocals, which were usually such like an important element of the Clash sound. Uh, yeah, they add the emotion like frequently. That in adding these thirty multi-track voices, it's that that absence is felt that much more. Joe had uh, a great voice, but a weak voice at points, and so like Mick actually kind of did smooth out uh the the notes and, and all that that he couldn't uh hit it's kind of like uh billy joe armstrong and, and mike yeah. from green took Day. the high notes 
He had a good range. Joe Strummer, not a great range. This is them firing shots at Mick over the lawsuit, too, of like, uh, yeah, you, we're the Clash. You'll never be the Clash, uh, which sucks. It's so mean. It does suck. It's like the only explanation for this song, though. Like, there's there's nothing here, again, other than that message right there is we're the Clash and you're not. Not that we're so amazing at being the Clash anymore, but we are, though, and you're not. Well, but also justifiably, we are not. Like, can you imagine <laughs> writing a song called We Are Solo Sex with some woman? Yeah, that, my like, wife Helen is now in solo like, sex. Yes. I don't know. It, Actually, it's... you and Helen are solo sex now. <laughs> the rest of them. Bucket um, It's a lot of fun. You're telling me. So maybe this song, maybe the justification is that he had just won the court case and they were allowed to retain the name. That, that's like the only thing I could see giving them any amount of energy for this shit. Fucking Joe Strummer is literally down the street. He sounds like he's back in the London underground waiting to go home and the rest of the band is like upstairs and like a sanitizer. I don't even know where the band is because you can't even hear them. And the only authentic emotion on this entire album, I kind of want to play it, is at the very end you hear a fully anguished wail from Joe Strummer and it's like the only time I feel like he's just letting out all of the frustration and aggression that should have been channeled into music. Yes. Um, let's just do a quick... Uh, Please do, yes. Same, Joe, same. <laughs> he sounds like he's falling down a well. I know. <laughs> you know, there's some weird, like, in various Clash songs from, you know, albums that we like, there are songs where they kind of ride off into the sunset, like, they don't really, there's not really an end thinking trend in vain like yeah right you know somehow the way that these songs right off into the sunset is like totally different from that it's like <laughs> yeah not it's hard for me to put my finger on it i've been trying but like somehow i don't know to me like the fact that his anguished whales are dying while the rest of the band is still like sunsetting about it's just like there's you still have fucking elevator muzak synths playing over his anguished whale. so what i could think is that like there was an intern that was like let's just fucking get down with this it's it's over now like, that's kind of, <laughs> oh boy <laughs> Oh my god, it's so depressing. It's really extremely depressing that this is the last album they ever put out. I mean, it's just it's like I'm having a hard time enough, man. It's January, like, you know, it's it's a pan panorama. We're still out here fucking I'm losing my shit and and you know, this is hard. I'm listening to this like this legendary band that I love so much and it it really hurts. It really hurts. Nope, they lost their shit and it was a pandemic. Yeah, you know, uh, there was the 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 cocaine crisis of the 80s, I think, was a, a pandemic unto itself. Yeah, that's, a pandemic that's of the mind. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, I think what you were saying earlier, Heather, uh, makes a lot of sense that uh, you know, I was going to bring up that there's not a single song in this album, even the couple that I kind of like, which we haven't gotten to yet, which also is, uh, you know, impugns the uh, the sequencing. Of the I'm album. sorry. We're, we're uh, fucking far in the good songs are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's not a single song in this album where it sounds like a band playing in a room together. No, exactly. Not a single I would one. actually right. debate you on that one. Big, big. Um, All right. OK, we'll get there. Big, dirty work energy. 
Big dirty work energy on this album, I felt. Yeah, dirty work and uh, uh, landing on water. Um, and one of them is a is an animatronic toucan. <laughs> I will say that that's one who of, they replaced Topper Heaton with. Exactly. Um, I think that replacement, um, or maybe it was that replacement, or one of the other uh, session musicians, basically that they like strung along for this, um, came up with a, a pretty appropriate. Uh, term for the band at this point uh, and called them Spinal Clash, which I think is <laughs> oh, really quite on point. I, quite I, on point. Uh, honestly, I hope it's a drummer because they fucked him. He recorded <laughs> every track and they replaced it with a drum machine. So I hope it is my homeboy. I think it might. I think it might be. Good. But either way, it was an appropriate um, term. But. Um, can we just talk about, we didn't even mention this. I know we're going to go on to the next song soon, but the lyrics, like, what? Punk rockers, hip hoppers, all the shows, sorry, the roots, the radicals. So anyway, we all know that Rancid just ripped off um, The Clash, but it was pretty apparent here. But it sounds like The Clash is ripping off themselves. And then they go into right wing, left wing. I want something. <laughs> it's all the same, right? Sure right wing and left. Never been spoken. <laughs> right wing, left wing. They're good people on both sides. Good people on both sides. Oh. I think the lyrics are okay on this album. Am I alone in that? And that the lyrics are. I, no. I said the same thing about the. You're group. alone. You are yeah, wrong. No, it's not alone. It's not alone. I, I love uh, Joe's lyrics on a lot of the dub stuff. He can get really fucking lazy. Uh, which is just something we all have to accept. Uh, yeah, especially of- on this. This next song is one of the laziest lyrics, like songs I've heard in a long time. <laughs> laziest lyrical. Which? Uh, well, we'll get to finger popping. What? But oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my again. god, we will get to finger popping. <laughs> but this next song was originally titled "Are You Ready for War?" and that's oh not my exactly god. how they. <laughs> Yeah, they thought they made they made the poetic choice to call it "Are You Red?" Dot dot dot, dot why? Why? Oh my Which god! Which is exactly why I do believe the Soviet Union thought they could win the Cold War. I listened to this song <laughs> like I totally saw it. Like, yeah, no, 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 I get it. Yeah, this was a this really took the temperature of of the of the uh, state of the Cold War, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're lucky we didn't get a you know. Nuked. Yeah, because of this, the forceful, uh, the forceful uh, perspectives on this on this fucking track. Really deep lyrics like vodka chilled in the Kremlin bar. (laughs) Anyway, here we go. Hard to do a lot of coke. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. This is Are You Red? Dot dot dot. Why? Not red e e again, just classic yeah. clash. That's just <laughs> throwback to self-titled classic clash right there. Yeah, that one featured on the live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles soundtrack. <laughs> that song sounds like Butch Vig fell into a pile of cocaine. 
Well, but, I was going to say, this is something that throughout this album, I feel like there have been sort of arbitrary decisions just like dial the tempo up by like 40 beats per minute or down by like 20. Yeah, throw and there's some not a maracas lot of in there. Like, throw a keytar. Why not? Throw Plus these dumb pigs. <laughs> you know, there's no driving energy behind the speed. It just... And like we dialed the metronome forward or something on the drum machine that we're all trying to kind of keep up. I, there are other album, songs in this album where it's like artificially slow. If you think about like The Clash mostly had like medium up-tempo songs. They played much faster live. But like... I do it. Yeah. I think, well, there's a difference between like you can be up-tempo, but it feels like... No, they're speed ball. Yeah. They're speed balling with fucking coke and synths is what's happening yeah. yes. here, and it right. is it is mm-hmm. a dangerous combination. The synthesizers, man. We talk about cocaine is a hell of a drug. Synths are a hell of a drug. I think they fucked up the '80s so much. Like it's just crazy. All of these bands that were, you know, especially legendary bands that it's you know, you know, built their uh, their legacy already in the 70s and 60s and then all of a sudden they're you know they're in the 80s and they're like oh I just you know here they, here's a shiny new toy and I just have to use it it's like oh here's an airplane I don't know if I have I don't have a license to fly this airplane and I don't know how I'm just gonna fucking get in it and just go you know go for it and then fucking crash irresponsible Cynthia. irresponsible so, like, it's different well, yeah. that's not every band. No, because no. there was Peter Gabriel. There was yes. Kate Bush. Yes. There was, there was uh, The Cure. <laughs> the Cure. Yeah, I mean, people figured out how to integrate since, just not everyone did. And I think, actually, what you're talking about, Megan talking about the tempo stuff, I think that they were there was the allure of the drum machine being able to do stuff that a human drummer might not be able to was just too much. They were like, yes, let's have just kick. For uh, just modern metal was created. Wonderful. Actually, yeah, they were pioneers. No, but just this idea of like because synths exist that you need to have seventeen of them, you know, on a fucking album that's made by a punk band that's supposed to be getting back to their roots. Four dudes. like. Jeff? And there's you know, so far we're we're four what four songs into this album and unlike okay. the Clash in the past like there's been like no genre movement at all unless you count this one being like new wave instead of rock and roll like or instead of punk. I don't know what genre you classify this song as or like dictator like what what is it? Is I feel like it's it's noise rock. I right? think I have it. I think I have it. Uh, they wanted to use the screams and sobbing of their fans as instruments. <laughs> and then they went full circle, and uh, here we are. Well, they knew that no one was actually going to be singing along to these songs live. They knew that this was fucking doomed from the start, so they had to fucking pipe in an audience <laughs> to pretend that they once had had friends. If they learned That's... the lyrics, they would never remember them. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's... I mean, listen to these lyrics. War, all that is futuristic. War, all that is realistic. War, all that will be ballistic. Are you red? What? Well, are yeah. you ready for war? 
Uh, was supposed red. to be yeah. red. I'm such an really apologist. I'm sorry. Mean. No, I uh, seriously, Brandon. I mean, they are trying to. You know, this is right at the height of the Cold War, and people. Everyone was really worried that they were going to get nuked by Russia. War, um, all in all, this sentimental war, wall to wall with the regimental war with all the things continental. No, oh no, I'm saying they did not pull it off. I see where I see the starting point. Uh, where they ended up was uh, I can't. I mean, especially like, you know. I mean, Joe. Str- they had some, some, some communist sympathy. Yeah. Uh, As do I. I'm starting to see the Soviet sorta, point of view now. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> some of they, it. I mean, they sort of got it. They saw the bigger picture, uh, you know, and saw in 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 their earlier work, um, and were able to to approach it, you know, sort of looking at both sides. And on this one, it's just kind of like, "Are you ready to be nuked by Russia?" Uh, it's gonna red? happen for sure. <laughs> it's unlike the farther end of the spectrum. Think about London Calling. Mm-hmm. Like London Calling is also a song about like we might be doing war. But that was within right? their own sphere, and exactly. that's what was so good well, about the Clash. They were talking about their own issues, or at least well, adjacent. It, yeah, and and one of the things that I think I think Megan mentioned earlier was the level of like appropriation, and they do a fair amount of appropriation of other people's uh, other you know other countries' fucking um, traumas for their own like personal gain without any actual like... depth to it. Like this is fucking lazy as hell, dude. This is one yeah. of the laziest. Vodka songs. chilled on the Kremlin bar, Vod- right on. Uh, oh, go Actually, ahead. I don't even know what the next line it's is. It's incredibly even... lazy. You don't have to say it. It's fine. No, no. It's not even it's not even uh, legible according to the genius annotations I read of it. Like they, it's yeah, the genius says right on the rocky they're like, right okay, on the rocky wanna... question mark question mark question mark and hold my arm. Exactly. Aggressively panning guitar over this like drilling monotonous fake drum sound and these flashing <laughs> synth pads does not effectively distract from the fact that this is a song built around an incredibly lazy pun and even lazier uninterested rehashes of Cold War tropes. Like that is this is, doesn't say anything at all. I feel like there's also yeah. we wind up with like wacky science sounds. Yeah. In this song of yes. I'm not even sure th- who that's appropriating. No. Like, it yeah. sounds like it's uh, Thomas Dolby. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> I was hearing parts of it as um, Weird Al's Dare to Be Stupid, which is a parody of Devo, and it's like. I wonder. Do you think were they going for like a Devo? Type thing? I think. I think so. I mean. Oh, but man. that would I, imply that would imply an intention, and I just feel like the right. only intention of all of these little fucking affectations, these these musical affectations, was just to cover up the fact that there was nothing actually there of substance. That's unfortunately it. I mean, I think part of it is when you wonder about like who's who's doing those parts, like who's behind the synth on this, and whether it's Rhodes or not, it it really feels like. Whoever it is, it's their first time getting to work with this stuff. Oh, yeah. And they're so excited. They're going to put it all over this album. Baby's first Casio. All right, guys. So why don't we go on to the next one here, which I, there's I just no... want to point out, still not a single bridge on the album so far. Not a single bridge. Don't need to be. Listen, we're punk rock. Oh, all right, here we go. This is Cool Under In a fat man's city, 
people under heat working for the clamp down. This is exactly what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just this crutch of a... a But it doesn't even even sound like that because he's not even singing the chorus. He just has all of his fucking piped in fucking photoshopped friends in his tinder profile fucking just singing the 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 gang vocals it's not even at him how jerry <laughs> <laughs> that is my joe so <laughs> i know it is garbage you're right i know i know um, like later on in the song tambourine comes in some like very conspicuous way is it a yes, synth tambourine, tambourine and bongos <laughs> There's like a very yeah. softly played bongo that is turned up higher than everything else over the second verse. Then there's wah wah. Oh, uh, the wah wah pedal. Oh yes. Uh, the yes. use of percussion on this album is incredibly suspect. It feels like after the whole uh, "Do they know it's Christmas" uh, thing at Band Aid <laughs> in '84, like the boys thought they were doing their part by being what sounds like African drums. Anywhere, oh, yeah. anywhere yeah. they could in the album, you know, to raise awareness. When they do this, it just feels like <laughs> white people making music in some very specific way. Like, I don't know. Heather and I have watched a VHS of the making of Do They Know It's Christmas? And I can tell you definitively that not a single person involved in that song has had any idea about anything that was going on in Africa. At all. And they are all extremely high. Un- extremely high on cocaine. High. Like, I think Bono was the only sober person in the entire entire thing. So this is what yeah. like got me with the recording of this album, is that like there's a lot of African quote-unquote drums. But it's also yeah, telling. It's their token African friend. But Joe and the class the were left out the of drums. the band Well, that's what was on the Casio, yeah. man. Like, Oh, interesting. They had fucking Ooh. everyone in Duran Duran on it, but they couldn't make room for Joe Strummer, who, you know, mm. clearly doesn't these care are his, about issues. These are his revenge bongos, then. I think oh. he may have died of a heart attack much earlier if he was involved in, uh, in Band-Aid. I'll just <laughs> tell you that much. I, that might have ended him. I do prefer that he wasn't involved in Band-Aid. <laughs> Or we are the world. <laughs> uh, I watched that, uh, the making of that documentary, also on VHS recently. You know that we are the world was recorded the same month that this album was recorded. Oh, yes, wow. it was a big African well, Joe Strummer. Yeah, right. Joe Strummer wanted to say he was the world. <laughs> I am the world. Boop, 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 boop. I can't. I can't. Um, there's an insane vocal modulator at some point. I think it's the second chorus. Let me see if I can find it. Jesus fucking Christ. It's just like flange being applied to things. (laughs) (laughs) Does the Australian thing the goddamn ditchery do? It's a synth didgeridoo. It is. This is like a big plastic tube. Somebody like humming into and whirling around. I will say I fainted recently. I had a fainting spell. I'm fine. It was fine. But that was the sound I heard in my head as I was yeah let's make the last remaining member of the band let's hear him less let's make him completely unintelligible and unidentifiable 
And then let's add more football screeching. Let's yeah, we need to go. mask the fact that there's oi, now oi. five people in the band by giving every vocal, every gang vocals, at least 20 people. Should also point out, still no bridges. No bridge. Nope. Officially, it is the first song with the bridge, Movers and Shakers. We can get to it. I think we should yeah. maybe take a break first. Oh, yeah. Let's take a quick break. And uh, we'll be right back. Um, all right, cool. Should we uh, should we get back on into it? Are we ready? I mean, we're never going to be ready, but we're going to be as ready as we can be. Um, I'm ready to get into these next three, um, which I have some thoughts about. Yeah, right. Seriously. Really? The, real, the meat of the yeah. album. Yeah. The meat. Yeah. After so much bread. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> something to sink your teeth into. Yeah, so I know Mike Dunn. These these next three are are your favorites on the album. I think yeah, this uh, is my EP. If you, it, I'm always saying you can make an EP. You know, it, it, an album, a bad album. Sometimes you can find an EP's worth of good content. And in this album, they chose to sequence all three EP songs in a row. Uh, in right, right in the smack dab in the middle. So um, here is Movers and Shakers. The boys. I think it sounds like a it sounds like a song. Um, I think actually the synths, you know, are uh, tastefully done. No, um, I think they're tastefully done. I think they're me- well mixed in with the rest of the instruments. It does still have the football vocals, which I don't love, and it is just a song about um, how cool impoverished bucket drummers are. Um, but uh, I think overall, it is a, <laughs> it is a song that I can deal with. Uh, and is certainly a cut above most of the album. Isn't it kind of like Joe Strummer's like basically saying to pull yourself up by your combat boots? Like that's kind of the vibe I get from this song. I will agree that like musically, it's not very, it's not as offensive. Although I disagree that the synth trumpets are tasteful. Oh I think well, they are completely like anachronistic and come out of nowhere. But and like if I was, you know, working coins from the cold concrete, I don't know that synth trumpets would speak to me. And they're worse but, later. Um, it's like you know, it turns into this pseudo mariachi synth ooh. trumpet. Like <laughs> and and just real quick, I also love when Strummer does his own woes behind his vocal track. Oh, it's just great. Oh my god. I couldn't get well, anyone- there are like thirty-five of them. Yeah, right. There's a huge crowd of people <laughs> somewhere in the building for all those vocal tracks, but only he can do those woes. Yeah, just start a punk band like me, kids, and you'll make it too. Soon you'll be able to buy your own punk postures in a drum sample pack. You'll definitely have friends. <laughs> yeah, you'll definitely have friends. It's, I'm, I I can't get past the lyrical content of it because I just think it's so fucking cheesy. Content and it, is yeah, so just, strong. I absolutely think you're right. And uh, from some of the reviews I read, uh, it is said to be uh, the first line is supposed to be the yeah. worst line that has ever been uttered by Joe Strummer. The boy stood in the burning slum. Better times had yeah. to come. Yeah, it's a little rich coming from someone who's that rich at this point. You know what yes. I mean? 
Yes, indeed. That's that's a critique of that, I think. It's also I had to look into this because I was like, I can't. I don't. I don't. I didn't really get why it was considered such like an offensive line. But it's also it is a a, a reference to an, a poem uh, called Casabianca by Felicia Dorothy Hemans um, from eighteen twenty six that is like a UK elementary school staple. Okay. For some reason, it's a poem they all read in school, um, and I think people think it's cringe. That like I think it would be like the equivalent of like referencing the opening song be like two poor black people converged in, a, in an empty wood <laughs> or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's basically... wow. Diverged, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of what he was doing there. Yeah. And, and the whole thing is like, it's like poverty. It feels like poverty tourism. You know what I mean? I, I'm sorry. Like 1985 clash. Like, you know, if you want to talk about like, you know, the alienation of capitalism, like, go for that. If you want to talk about, like, the U.S. involvement and U.K. involvement in foreign wars and, like, you know, imperialism, if you want to talk about that, sh- that shit, you can, but you can't be like, you know, listen, the movers and shakers, you got what it takes to make it, baby. Like, even if you have to fake it, like, this shit, that's like... What does that mean? What does that mean, dude? It's like He's punk just rock meritocracy. It's punk- He's talking about, like... I like- hate that. Like busker, bucket drummer. Yeah, guys. you can be like me. Well, in a way, he's talking about himself, right? Because didn't exactly. he? Come, he was a busker. He came out of like he was living in squats or whatever before he got you know picked up by Rhodes or whoever it was who found Strummer himself. But I, right. I totally agree that it feels empty when he's getting paid like five hundred thousand dollars per set, like. Right. It's not it's not. Yeah. You don't have the same the same energy behind it. Not even close. And it, it, it feels like a bit of projection when you're saying, you know, even if you have to fake it. Right. It feels very it feels very fake. And I'm sorry, even though lyrically, I mean, um, musically, it, it does sound closer to a, a Clash song than pretty much everything else on this album that we've heard so far, except for um, Dirty Punk. And I like it better than Dirty Punk. So that's something. I'll give it that. <laughs> And that's all. You can pry the rest from my cold, dead hands. Um, I'm reading the lyrics and like I see what you guys are saying, but I also I just I just don't think I think some of it's kind of well done. Like way back in some city heat, when a friend was anybody with food to eat, it was a lousy life with a leaking roof. We got up to find that truth. Like I don't know. I mean, that sounds honest. Making a drum from a garbage can. Allow- no, no, stop, stop reading for <laughs> Allow your tongue. Allow your tongue to be a man. <laughs> Banging on a trash can. Drumming on a street no. light. <laughs> just the first four lines of the first three. Weeks. Let's just talk about those ones. <laughs> All right, fine. You made your point. <laughs> yeah, it's I not did. a great song. It's right not back a great to. Song. I think you made your point. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's. I, I I will say these next two. I'll give you on the EP. I do think these next two songs are solid. Um, Agreed. So and and that's and that's it. So uh, here we go. This is uh, this is England.
I want to observe. I feel like Joseph Stromer did sing straight out of this song. We can actually hear him. Yep. Unusual. Yep. Here. That's nice. I also think that the use of the drum machine was less tasteless than in some other songs. Like there's less going on. It sounds more like it could be viable, but it's another thing where like, I was complaining about shit being dialed up from a tempo standpoint earlier. This feels like it's been dialed back to one of those like, no, 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 this is our like mid-bid tempo song, guys. But there's no humans involved, so it can't like surge ahead in the way that it would. It's just like very, you know. Love this musician's analysis here. Yes, yes, correct. Correct on all points. I, But I also, I don't understand the limp synthetic hand claps i'm not that's very imagine dragons um and it's it's not cute but the lyrics of this out of this song and i guess to an extent the chorus i agree with you about the tempo but um the lyrics are are really good um or at least parts of it are really good i really liked time on his hands freezing all those clothes he won't go for the carrot they beat him by the pole um some sunny day confronted by his soul. He's out at sea too far off. He can't go home. This is England, what we're supposed to die for. Um, it's good. I mean, that those are those are really strong lyrics. And it, it has the bones of a, of a decent song. But then you have bloopy synth clarinets. Like, ah! Well, look, I think the synths work on, work on the song because uh, it is, like, built around them. Like, yeah. this was... Like it's not there's not these buzzsaw guitars fighting with the synths to try to like get noticed. Like it's just like a synthy song. And you know, I mean like um what do you call it? Um Straight to Hell was kind of a synthy song and they made that work, you know, they they've made it work in the past and, and uh You're exactly actually hitting my point here. Yeah. Is that lyrically Joe shines in this kind of song. I mean you could absolutely tell that he wrote all these lyrics down by hand there was <laughs> nothing else you know lyrically it's brilliant uh the synths jesus christ but, synth violins uh, synth clarinet we didn't need those we didn't need those right. the fucking you, song is there yeah the, yeah. the bones and are there. It, you could have just done a dub so- style. Like, you know what I mean? Precisely. Like, they've done that. It, it almost wants to be that dub, you know, echoey reggae sound. But they, instead of fa- just letting it be that, they fucking throw in all these unnecessary synth notes. But even still, it's it, it's a solid song. In their defense, they didn't have their lead guitarist, bassist, or drummer. Uh, well, <laughs> where, where it used to work because uh, it was know. i mean that was their choice and their fault right i i don't know what else to say about the song i think we said it all should we move on to the next one which i yeah. think is the best one on the album hell sure. yeah it's my favorite song too hell yeah right, let's do it hell yeah here we go this is three card trick told you mike I mean, listen, I'm a ska kid, 
And even though they're back on that bugaboo Ooh. shit and, and there's some Crash Bandicoot drums and some other questionable choices, overall, this is a very fucking solid song. Great lyrics, uh, good composition. There are bridges. There's a chorus I can hear. This is how low the bar is, guys. Like, <laughs> I can hear yeah. Joe Strummer's voice. Um, so the song's a bop, though. Like, it's totally got movement. Correct. Like, it's, it's almost catchy. Like, I don't know. I like this song a lot. Her weirdly no memorable hooks in the whole thing, including even here. But uh, I like you won't fall for that. Uh, yeah. They have worse choruses in this album, and they've had it with, you know, gang choruses and everything but this one's actually a good chorus which yeah and the chorus is is is, uh you know it's cheeky it's ironic it's sarcastic it's oh it's it's like it's like blatantly anti-fascist too like this song is Mm -hmm. taking direct shots the national front yep um she was saying you won't fall for that lawn or is a baton in the ribs uh just like your mommy and your daddy did uh you know saying um you know We'll just we'll leave it at that. Yeah. yeah, they own the pack while we play three card tricks. I like yeah that line. Bring back also bring back crucifixion. Cry the moral deaths head legion using steel nails manufactured by slaves in Asia. And that's then the Strummer at his best. Yes. Yeah, that's fucking that's punk rock. And then like you said, Precisely. yeah, Jack, I'll eat my hat while I'm gonna be sick. They own the pack while we play the three card trick. That's very clever. That's very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's like it's like a return to that, like I was saying earlier, that there's this like international like Thatcher era like philosophy almost going on in the lyrics, you know, which is I just so much more present here than it is in something like Dirty Punk. Like, right. I don't know. Right. So my well, maybe his issue... brother, the hunk was uh, Winston Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> wow. so I, I, this is my favorite song on the album, but. I am kind of like overcome with the fact that I I know I know and I think that a band only gets like one song about card playing and that's <laughs> it and no more and they kind of spent it on uh, on London Calling but uh, yeah, they had is, two in a row on that album about card precisely so yeah yeah they're they're way in, in debt to us but it, it is the most coherent song on the album uh, yes. back to front front to back in my yeah. opinion. Yep. Yeah. And and also, again, the vocals, like, it's just so nice to not hear the fucking, you know, footy acapella choir and just have Joe Strummer sound like he has actual conviction for the first time on the whole album. Like, it it sounds like Joe Strummer. He's present in a way he isn't on any of these other songs. Yeah, actually, I think, um, you know, maybe it's not even like. Like Megan might be right that the even this one doesn't have that strong of a hook, but maybe it's not so much that like the, the melody or whatever, but just the the absence of those football vocals and that whoever's doing the, um, you know, the backing vocals with him is doing like a decent Mick Jones impression, or maybe it's <laughs> is it Strummer himself just double tracked? It might tell. be. It might be. Certainly, yeah, better. stole his uh, voice from every other track and just put it in there. If he had made an album like that, then he could have fucking really stuck it to Mick Jones. But unfortunately, yeah, that's not what we got. But yeah, this is the most frustrating part of the album because it's like, why? Why do these songs sound like this and like the rest of the album sounds like it does? Like, 
Yeah, and I th- I even think you're being stupid. Bernie Rose. I think yeah. Well, I think you're being a little kind, honestly, to the other right. two songs. Like I still don't like Movers and Shakers. I think this is England is is almost good. So it's, it's still fine. it. This is the one song on the album that I'm like, this is good. I enjoy this. You know. Um, well, I love you. Have- oh, we're about to <laughs> fall right back off that cliff. Oh, my oh God, yeah, the good times so are killing me. It's yeah, so baby, bad. you strap in. <laughs> Pop in, baby. Uh, it's ready. <laughs> it's so bad, guys. I can't even. Well, before we pop in, we got a play to win. That's right. We... Oh. <laughs> Thank you. I've been waiting for finger popping this whole time. Well, My well, entire well, well, lifetime. Well, well, well. <laughs> All right. Can't fucking wait to finger pop. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay, this next one. So this next. Sorry, words. This next one is called Play to Win. Here we go. What? We're in some like bizarre casino arcade it's an arcade arcade it's an arcade from my worst fever dream nightmare like (laughs) and we open with all this like joe strummer like rasta patois like like it's not him he's talking to another rasta he's talking uh, to an unnamed character just labeled rasta in the lyrics and I don't, there's this weird waiting for Godot-esque interaction between them. (laughs) It's, they're doing it for the whole song. That wasn't just an intro. It goes from this, like, fucking extremely strange, like, you know, weird performance art, like appropriative patois performance art juxtaposed with that one, I guess, a hook that you heard Graffiti Bandit Pioneers? I long for the prairie. Graffiti Bandit They built the entire Pioneers. song around one chorus that is not good. <laughs> That's not there's, a song. I don't think there's even a, a verse yes. in the entire song. There it's is not. Yeah. It's just him talking to that quote-unquote Rasta. Rasta. I long for the prairie or the wild frontier. We gotta take it to the space age. Graffiti bandit pioneers. So Might this draw may be, together. This may be an early Mescaleros uh, <laughs> lyrical <laughs> exercise. <laughs> <laughs> but it is uh, in practice. Oh, what a napkin God. song. He wrote like he wrote like maximum 20 words. And then the rest of it is just him shooting the shit with yeah. Mr. Rasta. <laughs> yeah, somehow did he like... Was Joe Strummer just like zooted, hanging out in an an, uh, an arcade, and then like Fela Kuti was playing <laughs> at the arcade, and he got into an argument with a Jamaican guy, and for some reason he was just like, "That was brilliant. I'm gonna turn that into a song. Just whatever this is is a song." Wind it back and press record. <laughs> you don't even need to write any lyrics. It doesn't need to be music. This is the song. These fucking pigs love everything I write. <laughs> <laughs> These capitalist swine. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, it just goes on like that. Eventually, they add some castanets, because why not? Like, let's just throw that in there, too. Um, This is truly baffling. We were going to be selective. It's way too late. <laughs> I do I do love the rhythm of the chorus. It is a good chorus, you know, uh, rhythm. It's just... All the words are garbage and everything between the words. Because it's a 4-4 four, four rock song. That's the rhythm. There's nothing just, unique about I, the I, rhythm. It's just. Are you talking about the congas? There, there's good conga playing on this song. Well, I will tell you. you <laughs> that's know, what I, the world that's my favorite that. part of the clash is the congas, really. <laughs> you know, they're my. It's really the a highlight. creation is my favorite part. Uh, yeah, Weindorf really killed it on those congas. <laughs> <laughs> He's so versatile. <laughs> I think there could have been a good chorus there. He just graffiti bandit pioneers. <laughs> it makes sense if you don't think about it. We're just no. putting dance together. It's fun. But again, they went with the football vocals on it. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. Crazy. I guess you can argue that yes, like um, you know, the the chorus, the the rhythm and 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 melody of the chorus is good, but I mean that's like it's like eight seconds of the song, <laughs> and it's the only part of the song that is ah, uh, they do it like fifteen times during the song, so it is basically most of the song. True, <laughs> but it's it doesn't change any of the time they do. I don't know. It, this song was baffling to me. I almost kind of appreciate it for uh, it's j- just like Dada. It just yeah, yeah. It's surreal. So we 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 all know what outsider music is, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. we do. Well, that's just not what I'm seeking from the Clash. Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> no, well, a different kind of outsider music, not an outsider to music like the shags, but an outsider to society making good music. That's the kind of outsider music I want from the clash. I don't want somebody who doesn't know how to play an instrument or instruments being replaced by animatronic toucans. Like I just, I, I, I the, the decision-making, the taste level is so questionable here. Can I just put out my opinion? Yeah. No. <laughs> this song and the next song were never meant to be on this album, but they just ran out of songs, so they put them both on. This next song yes. is oh my God. one incredible of the most baffling and confounding experiences I've ever had. <laughs> I really like Megan's take on this song. Oh yeah. my God. I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to I hear it. I have any- so many notes and it's just question marks. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 none of those question marks will be answered, my friend, I promise you. But um, this, my friends, uh, my precious and loyal stoppies, we've referenced it several times. This is finger popping. Save yourself.
So I have, I have, I have two, two thoughts. I, 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 I left my body listening to this song. Okay. Please continue. Well, on the one hand, this sort of sounds like they were failing at what New Order was succeeding at, maybe. But more importantly, I when I hear this and try to just like, you know, envision it, like try to understand, like if someone were playing this song, like what would be happening? I come up with Grease musical, like just seriously, <laughs> like like this is a song about boys like pointing at girls it, and then I, finger popping them afterwards. Yeah, oh, yeah. literally. Oh yeah. It's just this here finger's no. got no ring. It'll point at anything. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. That's worried about there that. There is no musical or anything that can help this song. This is definitely this... the funniest song that we've played on this show, <laughs> at least since like "Speed and Bullet to Heaven." I don't if know. Not Feel these since dreams. Lulu. Feel these dreams. Oh yeah, feel these dreams. I, I forgot. Still. <laughs> so, this is on that level. This is on a feel these dreams this level. This is on a feel these dreams level. It is uh, my just my mashup was this is dirty work meets return of Bruno with right said Fred rap over it. Like it is plus like somehow mashed up with that fucking Simpsons crack that whip a licorice whip like fucking finger pop finger pop. <laughs> I don't have a frame of reference. I don't know what to compare this to. I've never heard anything like Finger Pop. This is, I will this tell is you a true this. Make It Stop classic, I think. D- make It Stop. Finger Pop. This was cut from right after after Greased Lightning. Like It's it, really like it's Danny Zuko just trying to inspire the boys. Like I hear that, but like shop. you said, it's also got New Order like drum machine parts. And, and right said Fred fucking lyrics. Right said Fred, le- yeah. And I am very happy that you can laugh at this song, <laughs> but this song is the little death rattle of the Clash to oh. me. Yeah, you can just hear them die in real time. Finger pop. Is that even uh, Strummer saying that though? Like, who who is? like the vocals there like i'm on a finger pop pop you every night yeah i love this song this is my favorite song in the album i think because like those other songs those other songs that i that i liked quote unquote were like i was like oh yeah these kind of sound like uh okay clash songs but this one this is truly this is fair artbraham this is truly a piece of art this is clart I, I I do believe that this is a piece of art, but it is Dadaist art, and everyone—it's it's doodooist, and it's a piece of poop, and it's just let's stop fucking calling this anything other than what it is, which is yeah, fucking shit. It is I shit. Especially like the second episode of Make It Stop, like second third episode of Make It Stop. Yeah, fair fair Abraham. The yes, episode? yes, right. Yes, that's the one. Oh, we have a big stoppy here. Oh, we do. Big time oh, stoppy. Yeah. Uh, it, this is like unintentional iconoclasm, though. Like, the, ooh, yeah. yes, Jack. I like that. I like that juxtaposition of words. Like taking and com- a band that's like one of the most important to me punk bands, and then they write a song literally called "Finger Poppin." I mean, even if it was a great song, I can't. Which it isn't. I can't think about anything honestly to compare this to. Like, what else is a bigger fall from grace? Between my question marks and ha ha has on my note. I do see that, uh, like, this song is the, like, against me stop. Uh, For me, like, you didn't have to keep it on the album. It would have been fine off of it. 
Yeah, but the yeah. whole rest of the album is so much worse than White Crosses or whatever. Was that off of White Crosses? No, it's on New no. Wave. Or New Wave, and rather. New Wave. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, like, yeah. It just kind of shits on the parade. I mean, New Wave, I remember being disappointed with, but there is nothing like that. Like, this is this is yeah, such no, a profound. It's just fucking weird is all. I hear it's what you're saying. very I hear incredibly what you're saying. weird. I, I I think it's much more worse. It's much worse than weird. It's sinister. It is. It, it it's it's the kind of song that makes you question everything you loved about a band that shaped you. You know, it's it's really it's 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 legacy From melting shit. Shaking. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to process. Well, it made me realize the downside of cocaine. So that's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, they wanted to write a song that's like what like pizza would sound like if it was a song like what no, like, that's scott and mozzarella sticks. All right, uh, well it's important uh, to find out what pizza feels. A cheese, it's cheeseburger hey, music. Then. Don't cheeseburger don't knock music. the Aquabats like this, okay? I like that. Sound like oh. if you were a fast food chain of some kind, you needed a jingle, something about finger popping. Like I don't know, I don't know what we're eating when we're finger popping, but it, something, something like yep. He's sure. literally, it's an advertisement for Hot Pockets or Pop-Tarts. I was trying to figure out what is a finger pop? Is that yeah, like... Yeah. So I figured out what the song is about, I think. Oh. It's about like picking out a prostitute at a brothel. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very punk and cool. Very oh, transgressive and rebellious. Picking communists. Ugh. That makes what? Sense. That's, what? Oh, yeah. No, I think he's doing both. He's doing like a dichotomy there. Are they urban tribes? Well, of he's fighting like food? trying to get in with the communists, so he's finger popping the girls as a spy. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, because because you're implying that finger popping is a sex act, which is also what I implied, right? Or or some some uh, there maybe. is nothing else to imply. I don't know. Yeah. The only no, thing for sure what you do to your fingers after eating hot pockets, you. Finger pop. I don't know. <laughs> as long as there's consent, I don't give a shit. But you when know. you eat a hot pocket that's too hot, and then you get blisters on your fingers, and then you have to finger pop. They recorded this in Germany. There were no. God no, damn. I really feel like it's you know it's that disco, like actually Brandon, what you said before off the show, and you'll have to say it again about the next song. You know, there's this weird almost. And it ties into what you said, Megan, about this high school thing where it's, you know, guys on one side of the dance floor, girls on the other side. And the only cool guy, the only one cool enough to do so, points at the girl that he wants. And that's the finger pop. It's you. Uh, Gonna point at the best girl in sight. That is super fucking weird. And yeah, let's get to north and south. Fuck yeah. Oh, man. Oh, no. <laughs> I I suppose we must. Every interpretation that we had, they're all so different and all so horrible. They're all terrible. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. The idea that they would keep this on that. I mean, they gave up. Oh, they yes, gave up. dude. Thank God. For the show, though, it's a gold mine. For it is a gold stop, mine. It, it it's is. A little, it's a Lulu unto itself. <laughs> in, the, in the sense that it's so completely confounding and so completely undesired <laughs> not to me they took all of all 32 <laughs> minutes of junior dad and shrunk <laughs> it down and added uh added like a cha-cha drum machine <laughs> the marimba oh man all right let's go on we got two more songs here let's fucking bang them out uh this next one is called north and south here we go Plastic. 
machine do that? Why did they have the drum machine go instead of playing a beat like a <laughs> drum machine usually does? They had it go di, 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 with just snare. What we needed to leave room in the mix for the like aggressive synth marimbas above everything, and, and that whistle thing that came in the at the fern end. Think... The fern gully flute. <laughs> the fern gully flute. I think you flute. guys are being really. You're just not understanding the saddest prom song of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is it. And yes, we're all going to die at the end of the night. <laughs> but yeah, there's this real like try hard, like, uh, I don't know, socialistic message behind it. That yes, the Soviets are going to drop the bombs. And let's have the saddest prom song of all time. This one is supposed to be about like poverty and like the disparity, like income yeah. disparity between North and South, you know, England, I, I suppose. Or but hemispheres. Like, yeah, Korea? or hemispheres. Not Korea, but specifically, I think, England. But it sounds like a karaoke version of a Disney woodland creature scene with, like, a very misplaced, very unconvincing, extremely far away Joe Strummer wailing about poverty with a fucking jazzy elevator piano synth. And, like, um, and the Fern Gully flute, the Vapor, it's vaporwave. I was, I hear a pop <laughs> song. I also hear like a Miller Boyette production sitcom intro song. Like anything, like you know, any of those, any of the Miller Bo- Boyette theme songs. Full House. Yeah. Uh, matter, step by Step. Yeah. yeah. I don't think this uh, is driving enough for that. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's not even enough there, conviction. It's like it's, a, it's like it's a radio station with like two, uh, on the same frequency, two different stations on the same frequency. One of them is the sitcom and the other is like very faintly like the clash, like trying to, to bust through. I guess, there man. There is a karaoke quality to this song. Yes. And several others on the album that is disconcerting. In yeah. Many of the ways that some of the other aspects are, but. I the the sad song thing sounds is, haunted. It, it is haunted. It is haunted. It's like an abandoned. It's like it's like going to visit like an abandoned mall, but it's just the abandoned clash, and like there's no one left. <laughs> You're just looking around, like an echoing fucking wood block you hear from a far hallway. Um, unfortunately, the best lines on the album, in my opinion, are on this song, uh, or like some of the best ones where where he's. He says, and so we say we ain't digging no graves. We're digging a foundation for a future to be made. I really liked that. I thought that was really cool. Um, unfortunately, you are not convincing me by making a song like this. There was no foundation. There was no future. Uh, you did dig your own grave. Um, and uh, we are all thoroughly bummed out. We were all rooting for you. We were rooting for you. So you're more north than south then. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. We talking England or America? Because it's really it's a, it's a, it's a flip them. You got to flip them depending. Uh, th- yo, slow this song down though. Just take certain little portions of it. Slow it down. You got yourself a nice vaporwave song. I've said it before. This is another one. Just uh, just take it. Slow it down. Yeah, that's what vaporwave. I want from the Clash. That's what exactly what I want from them. Awesome. Great. Yeah, well, it's a classic Clash song. 
Yes. <laughs> like Dictator was. Oh, yeah. Very classic. Totally remember. This one's got the, totally... that vibe vibe, though. <laughs> totally yeah, remember it's, it's, how that song goes. <laughs> it's aesthetic. It's really horrible. I'm not dancing. I'm... I'm puking, and why don't we just fucking tie a bow on this one and finish it off with the last song here called Better. Life is Wild. Isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it just? It just. Here we go. What the fuck? I couldn't hear a goddamn word. No. The, to me, the bass is mixed so high up, it is hard to understand how or why that has happened. I might like the bass line to this song. I'm not really sure. I really wonder if Paul Simonon wrote that bass line before they suppl- supplanted him out. with yes, uh, the entire album. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's actually him on this song. It kind of sounds like his signature playing style. Well, that's what I mean. Like, Did he write it? Probably. But did he play it? I don't know. Yeah. I figured as much when there's two bassists credited on every track, like that means like nothing good. Probably it's the <laughs> second bassist. Yeah, they did a dirty. Wait, I thought I I've thought always it was, said the more bassists, the better. I thought it was the drummer who got cut out of the album. Both yes, of them? Yes, 100%. All of them. All was allowed like one song, but they all recorded their parts and yeah. most of them. This song to me felt like Huey Lewis and the Clash. Like it just Huey hmm. Lewis is much more organized than this though. You know what I mean? Like they they know how to play their synthesizers. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right actually. And this is yeah, and on the chorus, which you don't hear Joe Strummer at all. Again, we just defaulted to the football fans. Um, it's like is is Clash is the Clash trying to be Kiss? Like what's happening here? Like I don't understand the the anthemic chorus that you literally can't discern anything that they're saying. And it's supposed to be life is wild, life is free. Make him want to stop, gonna fall on me? What does that mean? <laughs> what? So yeah, that's the answer to his earlier million dollar question. Oh, from okay. What is this life all about? Uh, my note on this song it's is wild. life is wild when you're on a ton of drugs. Everyone loves <laughs> your ideas and no one ever says no. It is fucking wild, Joe. <laughs> there it is. The yeah. refrain of make it stop. It really oh, is. The thing we say in every fucking episode, someone should have been there to tell him no. But and Mick stop. Jones would have been that man. I know. That's the tragedy. That's yeah. the constant tragedy. That's the, the through line of all bad music. Yeah. It's just most, it's so many of it, it, so much of it is white male egos that were never checked. It just is. Absolutely. Unfortunately. For all of us, <laughs> as it is with society, <laughs> so it goes with music. Um, it repeats itself. Yes, it, uh, man, this was truly a fucking. Uh, I, I don't even know. It wasn't even quite a slog because I was on my toes the entire time, like defending myself from this album. <laughs> like I was literally like, ah, stop! Remain no. vigilant. <laughs> I sure. had to be vigilant at all times. I couldn't even. I couldn't even fucking like dissociate. It was so 
fucking awful, thoroughly terrible all the way through. I could not have done it without all of you here with us. Jesus Christ. Um, and I think at this point, it's it's time for us to rate the album on a scale of zero to negative five. And you guys, as our guests, get to choose the quantifier, zero to negative five of something. Uh, zero is true neutral. And negative five is the worst of the worst. And man, uh, woof. It's, I, we reserve that for really serious um, transgressions and... This might be one of them. So uh, do either of you, Brandon, Megan, or Jack, have a quantifier you'd like us to use? I'll speak up. Uh, I think maybe a negative three. There is a lot of context into this album. Uh, Bernie Rhodes is a big deal. You know, firing your song writer and arranger and your heroin addicted drummer who just killed it heroin or not uh, <laughs> uh i gotta say there was a lot of hubris here they were under contract and they tried their best oh my god and i am a, a joe strummer apologist so minus three on my end and uh, and what's the quantifier megan you had one earlier yeah, on the they, unit didn't you say misappropriated like Eth African say, drums, eth yeah, eth ethnic, <laughs> yeah, yeah, ethnic sound samples. <laughs> yeah, like this, this album as a as a Clash album gets like a negative five finger pops. Uh, <laughs> That's a good quantifier. There it is. That's, Excellent. Stick with that. There we go. But as a as an album in totality, or like among the pantheon of all the albums, maybe it only gets like as a an album like the worst album or the best award to worst album of all time maybe only like a negative three appropriated bongo rhythms like <laughs> <laughs> seems right i'll put i'll put both of them in the uh in the spreadsheet we'll do, uh, <laughs> we'll do finger pops and appropriated uh, african rhythms yes yeah finger popping african rhythms <laughs> yeah we could just mash them up yeah they sure did <laughs> <laughs> but i'm Megan, go ahead. What's your rating? I, I think that Brendan and Jack have said it all at this point. I was thinking like negative two and a half. It's so uncomfortable. Like there's so many things that are so uncomfortable. The level of karaoke, the level of appropriation, the just sort of bizarre like disembodiedness of a lot of the content. Like like that's, I don't know. That's what I've got. I'm not sure that makes any more sense than any of the album, but like that, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Mike Dunn, do you want to go? I, I feel like I'm ready to get fucking heated out the gate here and, and drop a, drop a little bomb and say that I fucking think y'all are being way too kind to this album. It is Very ridiculous. Kind. Extremely kind. Way too fucking kind. This album is an abomination on so many fucking levels. It is uh, terrible as a concept. There's zero fucking conviction or actual like thorough line through line to the whole album. Uh, there's no cohesion. There's no point. It's completely, totally throw shit at the wall and don't even wait to see if it sticks. Just fucking it. it there's there's no editing. There's no uh, you know, there's there's no unifying concept. There's no thesis. Anytime they try to make a point, it sounds like a fucking embarrassing pantomime of of political points they've made on earlier albums um there's none of the original members of the album of the of the fucking band on the album besides joe strummer who half the time sounds like he's down the street in a cave somewhere and hey, <laughs> i and it, it has 
fucking synth instruments that I didn't even know were even invented and 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 just a complete cacophony of useless cliches and distracting fucking synth violin hits and I hated it completely and from a band that I that is so legendary and so influential and and can be such such a transgressive band that is so fundamental to rock and roll music itself um negative five done i'm sorry i think it's atrocious wow i i'm i'm sorry uh maybe okay let me i'm i'm sorry i'll take it back negative 4.75 because one of those songs uh what was the one i liked um three card trick three card trick yep that was a good song so negative 4.75 go ahead mike dunn heather it's it's crazy that you gave it that negative five like it's worse than the weirdness. I, it's worse than the fucking Green Day album. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Definitely, yes. Um, because I, I was, I was gonna, I was really landing, you know, closer to I think like where Time and Place rated the album. Um, because I was like, oh, you know, there's three songs that I kind of liked, and you know, it's still Joe Strummer, and some <laughs> oh, of the lyrics are okay. But just as we were doing this episode, like I just, I just kept feeling like it was a negative five. Yes, like, it's so hard. It's so it's such a fall from grace. Like and of all the falls from He's grace that we've heard. Well. Ah. And we've heard a lot. You know, we've heard bad albums from legendary artists before, you know, I mean Neil Young and we've heard we've done two metallic two terrible Metallica albums and you know, all these other like legends and stuff. But I really feel like this is the biggest disparity between the peak Correct. and the valley of the band. You know, I I think this is so below the clash. In every way, and such a fuck you to Mick Jones and Topper and Paul, like everyone else in the band other than Joe Strummer. It's such an uncharacteristic uh, uh, showing from him to be this much of a fucking asshole, even to like the people who, and to allow his 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 uh, manager to co-opt the band and take it in the direction to. It's such a it's it impugns. Uh, Joe Strummer's character so much it it it's it saddens me. You are I... fucking out of your depth with that, Brandon. You <laughs> had so much time to defend Joe Strummer, and I haven't heard a goddamn argument. So let Michael talk and give his rating because you have not effectively. No, right. <laughs> no I love Joe Strummer. But Joe on Strummer this was... album, you have not given me a good argument. I'm sorry, no one has. Joe, I love Joe Strummer was like a huge, huge to me. He, I aspired to be like him when I was a teenager. You know, what I mean, like, but that's why that's it's that much more of a bummer. Am I do do I give this album a negative five? I mean, three card trick. It's it's too. I, I Think can't, about I can't. what he did afterwards. Okay, Movers listen. And shakers. It was okay, fucking Bernie Rhodes. All right, listen. I need to speak to Michael. If three yeah. card trick is is the beam of light, right? That's first of all, that's a ska song, and you don't even like ska. No, but I also like <laughs> This Is England, okay? And I will grow up and like ska. Okay. <laughs> oh, but the lyrics of Movers and Shakers really bad. It's bad. It might not be a negative five, but you gotta speak to your heart, no, Mike Dunn. I do, I don't want to give the Clash a negative five, even though like they really deserve it for this album. I mean, it's, I'm not. You know what the deal is? I'm not giving the Clash a negative five. I'm giving Joe Strummer and Bernard Rhodes a negative five because they <laughs> fucked up real bad with this album. Yeah. They sure did. I gotta do it. I yeah. gotta do it. Thank you, Michael. Finger pops. Finger pops. Negative five finger pops. Boom. 
Boom! There it is. Finger popping African rhythms. You gave a dead man negative five (laughs) finger pops. Well done. I hope you're proud of yourself. (laughs) The Clash, the Clash, the band, you know, overall, this doesn't, I think they're, they're a positive five finger pops band. But uh, and this album doesn't doesn't affect that score, but the album itself is it's 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 horrible. It's horrible. We get what we get, and we do get upset, and we are fully justified in that anger. And I uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the honesty from you, Mike Dunn, the vulnerability in in giving this album what it truly deserves. And I probably should have stuck with my negative five, but listen. It's fine. Um, you we, take your finger pops <laughs> and stick them where the clash don't shine. <laughs> right up your clash. Um, <laughs> I want to thank all of you, Megan, Brandon, and Jack from Time and Place for being on the show with us today. We are so grateful. It's just great to hang out with you. It's been a fucking minute, and we love you guys so much. Um, tell everyone where they can find your newest album, EP, uh, American White Noise and where they can support you and anything else you have going on that you want to plug. All right. Uh, so you can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash time and place is now. Um, Bandcamp, time and place at bandcamp.com. We're on major uh, streaming services. As you said, new EP is American White Noise. Pretty happy with it. Recorded it pre-pandemic and then a million years later, finally putting it out. Pretty relieved that it still turned out to be topical, which is saying something in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. You guys actually say things unlike this album. So fucking check it out um, and support these. They de- they deserve it. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah. So coming up next, guys, it's that time of year again. The baddest time of the baddest year. And uh, we will be inviting uh, some friends, former guests, uh, new guests, a whole a whole crew of ridiculous uh, folks to uh, torture themselves with us doing uh, our second annual March Badness Tournament. Um, And Mike Dunn, have we selected the uh, seeds for that tournament? Can we tell our stoppies about that? I believe we just finalized the seeding for uh, March Badness Part Deux. Uh, The seeds, as it stands right now, uh, and I think this is pretty much locked in, are going to be number one, Chain Smokers, two, Will I Am, three, Train, four, Stained, five, 311, and six, 21 Pilots. So uh, these bands will all be going head to head, a different album uh, each week. Uh, and uh, and until we're going to find out who the worst of the worst is, as we did last year. Um, and it's going to be awful. It's uh, <laughs> But that means. Five episodes, an episode every week of March, uh, to f- and uh, it's we're gonna have to just do it. We're just gonna have to do it. <laughs> we just have to fucking do it. We are May the worst band win. <laughs> <laughs> who do you guys think if you were gonna pay, if you were gonna take a pick from those seeds, who would be your choice? Who do you think's gonna win it? Let's get those predictions in. Imagine Dragons is always the worst band. Oh, they won. Oh, they, they won, won last, last year. year. Yeah. <laughs> they're not eligible they're to not, compete yeah. because they're already reigning champions. <laughs> I've got an emotional connection for Stained. So okay, I'm kind of in with Stained. Yeah. yeah. You think Stained's the worst or the best? Yes. Is there a
I'm I'm predicting. Fine, we can't blame you for that. I'm gonna make my my prediction right here, right now. Okay. I think it's gonna be chain smokers. I think they're taking it all. Mm. Oh, they are the top seed. They are the. So top. that's not that's not a wild card pick. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't pay out much in the Vegas. Odds. I haven't listened to <laughs> any of them like at all. So I, but I just know that I hate them so much. So I think yes, it's gonna be them. I think it's gonna. You're be right. Them. You know, you never know. I think last year we predicted Pitbull was gonna take it all, but he went out in the first round. So yeah, yeah. Anything can happen in March Badness. I think if I'm gonna make any pick on this, um. Ooh, there's Train. Train. Yeah, I'm actually. I'm gonna lock it in for Train. I think Train. <laughs> Uh, train, I think, is seated lower than they should be. I think that there's some kind train fans. You know, the the seating's based on the average uh, rating on Rate Your Music, and I think well, that's only because they never play and their songs are awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're gonna find out in depth, unfortunately. Uh, all for you, Stoppies. So thank you, Stoppies, for supporting us. We appreciate you so much, as always. Uh, send us a little review. Give us a nice little uh, say some nice words and we'll shout it out on the show. And uh, maybe we'll have our Patreon set up by now. So support our Patreon and give us money. Um, it's worth it, I guess. <laughs> Just <Yes>. kidding. <laughs> it is. We make a very compelling case. Money me now. Money, please. <laughs> money me now. Um, it, these are dark times. Uh, you know, everything counts. Uh, you can find us at MakeItStopPodcast.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MakeItStopCast. Uh, you can send us an email. Uh, send us a, a, a... Send us a... F- Sorry, send us a field recording of you at an arcade getting into an argument <laughs> with a Jamaican guy <laughs> while Fela Kuti plays. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Please do that. Please do that for us. Uh, we would love love to see it. Love to hear it. We'll play it on the show. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, see you for the next one, guys. Bye. Bye. Peace out. Bye. The Make It Stop podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Heather McCormick. It is affiliated with the Boston Free Radio Podcast Network at bostonfreeradio.com and with Somerville Media Center, based out of Somerville, Massachusetts. The music used for our intro was produced by Patrick Ahern. Thanks for listening.